This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker, an author, and an executive coach. And today, I am delighted to welcome Christina Wallace to the show. Christina will discuss the portfolio life and how to future-proof your career. Christina, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be with you. Oh my gosh. I am so jazzed about this. You are my people. When (laughs) I read your book, I thought, oh my gosh, I can't wait to have you on the show. And you know, one of the initial uh, sentences in your press kit, I thought really resonated. So I want to share it with this global audience. A self-described human Venn diagram, Mm -hmm. Christina Wallace has crafted a career at the intersection of business, technology, and the arts. So tell us what that means to be a human (laughs) Venn diagram. So this came out of uh, uh, sort of a twofold exercise. You know, I have been interdisciplinary my entire life. I I grew up uh, on the math team while playing classical piano and cello. Like I've always been interested in multiple worlds. And I really chafed at the idea that I needed to pick one and focus. Uh, But the challenge there when you do a lot of things is how to talk about that and how to talk about who you are in a way that's not just either one dimensional or isn't a like, you know, verbal diarrhea of everything on your resume. And so truly I came up with this phrase, I'm a human Venn diagram, um, while I was, uh, you know, raising money for my first startup and I had to do this elevator pitch over and over and over again. And I thought this is a way to talk about the worlds that I inhabit, business, technology, and the arts, and what I bring to the table, which is this interdisciplinary thinking and working, this connection that I offer between the networks that I have that that really sort of, I think, emphasizes the through line of all the specific work that I've done without pigeonholing me into one industry, one job title, one path. Mm, I, I absolutely love it. And and I describe you lovingly as a Renaissance woman, mm-hmm. right? You have all these beautiful backgrounds that converge areas of expertise, areas of interest. And by the way, uh, I also saw in your press kit that you are a mezzo-soprano. Yes. So you're, you're talking to a, a, a fellow soprano. So tell me about that. So you, you did have a professional musical stint in mm-hmm. your world, correct? I did. Yeah. I trained as a pianist, a cellist, and a singer all through high school. I graduated from Interlochen Arts Academy, which is a boarding school for the arts. Many of my colleagues went on to professional lives. And then I I studied theater and math in college, and I basically I paid my way through college as a professional musician. I taught piano lessons. I was a staff singer and a director uh, at a church in Atlanta. And um, and then I had my first job out of college at the Metropolitan Opera on the management side while I was still playing and singing and, and doing music and theater in and around New York City. Um, And for a while, I really thought that a performing arts career was part of what my future would look like until I stumbled into this arts management world and then adjacent into tech startups, realizing that my love of systems and people and math and building something from nothing really fit in in entrepreneurship in uh, in building companies and so i i did a bit of a zigzag and now my music is uh it's what i do for fun 
Oh, I love it. I love it. It is your avocation, not exactly. your vocation. But thank you for, for sharing that story. It's particularly inspiring to me. One of the things that I love that you're you're putting out there is a culture shift. Mm-hmm. And you talk about how we dramatically need to change the relationship that we have with work mm-hmm. and focus on a new relationship that allows us to define ourselves beyond what we get paid to do. So say more on that because that's powerful. Yeah. I mean, I, I, this is important for me in two reasons. One is that I never want me or anyone to lose your job and your identity in the same conversation. It's so dangerous to see yourself, your identity tied to how you are currently monetizing your time. So to allow yourself to, to see kind of a, a, three-dimensional vision of who you are, what you're interested in, what you want to give to the world, it gives you some of that future-proofing because you don't control uh, your job. You don't control what other things might be happening that could affect whether or not you're employed today. Um, So it gives you some, some space there, but it also gives you the optionality to change your mind. Right. Yeah. If you go through seasons of life where suddenly you want different things, that's not being flaky. That's growing as a human and and you're allowed to change your mind. And so if you see yourself so tightly described as, you know, I am this thing, the engineer, the librarian, the writer, that's what I've always been. And one day you realize that no longer fills me and I I want and need to do something different. But but that's who I am it's going to feel a lot harder to follow that instinct and make that pivot uh, than if you aren't quite so tied to that, that piece of your identity being your job. I love that. And I think, I hope that it gives so many people listening permission to say change is okay. And I can ignite my own agency and say, I am going to do something different. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean I'm less than it, it, you know, and you're, you're firing on a different cylinder, mm-hmm. for example. So beautiful segue into a portfolio life. Mm-hmm. So tell us what that looks like. Yeah. So it, this started from, um, you know, I, I originally called it a portfolio career. That was an earlier version of this model, which was really premised on, you know, you can and should have more than one iron in the fire as you think about your work, Um, whether that's more than one income stream, more than one uh, network, bodies of relationships and and, um, interests and specialties that you might be interested in. But then I I started to recognize, certainly in my own life, this was true, that your career is in the context of your life. And you can't design a career without thinking about, well, what do I need for this season of my life? And I felt this most viscerally when I became a mother and I moved from being this, uh, you know, I say this with great love, but a workaholic um, from the last 10 years to suddenly wanting a a very different relationship Mm -hmm. with work so that I could be the type of mother that I wanted to be for young children. And, um, And to do that, I had to redesign my entire portfolio. So the idea of a portfolio life, stop thinking work-life balance, right? That's putting these two things on like in opposition to each other. Work is part of your life. So think of it like a nice big pie or a financial portfolio, right? A, a, like a pie chart where work gets a piece of you. Your family gets a piece of you. Your hobbies get a piece of you. There are pieces that you might protect for rest 
or for daydreaming or for exploration. And all together, the various different things that you want and care about throughout your day, your week, your year, they all have to fit together to add up to your time. And so it's a way to design work, relationships, Mm. hobbies, community commitments, your health, all of the things that matter in the context of how do these pieces fit together for this season of my life? And then when your life changes, not if, when, you rebalance your portfolio, just like you do your financial portfolio. I love that. And the word that really popped for me that you just shared is design, because we have this control. We have this creative ability to create those pieces, if you will, of that pie and and slice it up as as we see fit. And I love the seasons of life too, because you're right. It's not when it changes, it or not if, it is when. So this is a, a line that that just made me smile. And I know we're on a podcast and we can't see, but we can hear, <laughs> so you can hear the smile in my voice. You talk about the portfolio life being an anti-hustle pro-rest approach to work-life balance. Yes. Yes. So Oh, I really struggle with this word hustle. And it's the reason why I don't really use the term side hustles. Yeah. I, I talk about moonlighting rather than side hustles, partially because you can have something you love on the side and you don't have to monetize it. You don't have to monetize every single thing you do and be productive. That's a very American way of thinking. Um, but also because there's something about hustle that comes, I mean, I, I dig into the history of that word in the book, but it comes from this place of, um, of survival, hmm. of keeping your head above water. And in many ways, you know, I think you can point to people who have two or three jobs and still can't pay rent in America as, as the sort of negative version of this. Like, I, I'm not I'm not glossifying that up and calling it a portfolio life. Like, that is an instance where capitalism is failing people. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to glorify this hustle. And I don't want to glorify in, like, the tech sector version either, which is like, thank God it's Monday and, like, hustle harder. Um, because that is is a place where it, it puts you in the mindset where you have to be working, work, work, work. And if and if you're not succeeding, it's your fault, rather than understanding that there might be systems at play that have set you up for an equation that you cannot master. And so instead of thinking hustle, <laughs> think design, think balance and rest. Um, and in many cases, I, I have to counsel folks that I work with that like, stop putting in those extra 10, 20 hours, give yourself the space to recover, to recharge. Like rest is a requirement, not a reward. So how are you making sure that you are not depleting your portfolio all in the vein of trying to hustle? You are my people. I'm telling you, <laughs> you know, it really is. It's this concept of diminishing returns, right? Where mm -hmm. you're overworking so much, over hustling, if you will, that you're not mm -hmm. productive. You're certainly not efficient. And my goodness, you're not healthy. Wow. Exactly. Christina, we could talk all day and we will come back after a quick break. I'd like to tell you about a special offer. If you want to bring your podcast to life or up your podcast game, you can get up to two months of free podcasting service with Libsyn using my special code CDHWORK. 
The Libsyn team will get your podcast on Apple and Spotify and give you access to critical stats and all the support you need to sound your best and grow your show. Use my special code, CDHWORK. Hiring the right speaker for your event is a tremendous responsibility. You need a speaker who will work within your budget and engage your audience. Whether you're looking to retain or grow top talent, create a healthy workplace culture, or prevent burnout in your organization, I can create customized content to help you recharge, reignite, or reinvent your career. Let's talk about how I can help you achieve your special event goals. Connect with me at carolinedowdhiggins.com. You know, it's an interesting time uh, in our world in that we have multiple generations in the workforce, the youngest being our Gen Zs, uh, teenagers to early 20-somethings. And we're seeing that the traditional career path is not as enticing for younger generations. Tell me a little bit more about that, because you do talk about this in the book. I do. I mean, I think it's twofold. It's not enticing, but also it's not possible. And I think those are absolutely related. You know, it's, it's, I look at the history of this. My grandfather had literally the same job for over 40 years. He was a welder uh, working on the assembly line for General Motors, building cars. Um, my mother has had the same career, but in different companies and different titles as she's been an administrative assistant for 40 years. I have done neither of those things in part because of who I am, but also because neither of those paths exist at a pay scale that can support a family, that can support a life anymore. And so I think what you see Gen Z looking at millennials, the group that I am an elder millennial of, um, where they see that that is not uh, feasible. Like the change is happening too fast. Technological, geopolitical, uh, ecological change, all of these things are happening in such a way that we are facing these massive disruptions that used to happen once in a generation, once in a lifetime. Now they're happening like, I don't know, every three to five years. And so you can't plot a linear path from here to there that spans 40 years because you have no idea what that looks like. And so instead, millennials are adopting this very much uh, what Clay Christensen would call an emergent strategy rather than a deliberate one Mm -hmm. that allows you to be reactive uh, to the circumstances as they change in real time. And I think Gen Z looks at us quite frankly, hustling very hard to try to stay afloat. And they say, you know what? If you can work that hard and you still can't afford a house, you still can't pay off your student loans, you still can't afford health insurance, and you are working your tuchus off, then why on earth would I work that hard in, in, uh, in exchange for giving up my health, my happiness, my relationships, my youth, right? Like, what's the appeal? If I don't get anything in return for that amount of hustle. And to be honest, they're not wrong. (laughs) Like they're not, they're not. not. It's a, it's a business case that, yeah, that, that cannot be made. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I am so glad that you shared that it's incredibly important. So many of our listeners 
are in the entrepreneurial space. Mm-hmm. Many of them are working in a variety of ways. So let's let's unpack this a little bit. Mm-hmm. How can someone listening work to diversify their income stream to really honor what they're interested in, what they're passionate about? How do you take that non-linear approach mm-hmm. and put it into practice. Yeah. So, th- I mean, there's a couple of ways around this, right? Uh, I often talk to folks who have uh, entrepreneurial aspirations, but currently mm-hmm. have a quote day job. Uh, and they're in a place in life where they can't just quit the day job and go all in without making an income as younger entrepreneurs are often counseled to do. One of the things we talk about is how can you develop this entrepreneurial ambition as your moonlighting project on the side and start to de-risk it, start to build that income stream, build the credibility, the client list, the track record, and build it to such a place where you might be able to then almost flip-flop, which is the day job and which is the moonlighting gig. Maybe at that point, the, the entrepreneurial work becomes your main commitment. And maybe that full-time job, you go down to part-time or you become a contract resource, a freelancer, where you still have that available to you. You're making a little money off of it. Um, you're staying connected to that world, but it provides you an additional income stream to maybe take some of the pressure off of your young business. So that's certainly one way that I've seen entrepreneurs think about this. There are other ways. Um, often I've seen maybe software developers who are working on an app then build out a consulting arm of their business where they advise or just write code for other people as a way to subsidize their own projects that might not be monetizable yet. Um, and there are other you know, elements of this too. You might say, there's a, a skill that I've always had. I don't love it, but I'm good at it. And it's in high demand. And maybe you just do it a couple of hours a week a couple of days a month in a way that it just gives you a little bit of buffer, a little bit more stability and flexibility to do the other things that you want. And not everything has to be all on all the time. You really can dial up and dial back based on the season of life or even the season in the year. Maybe in the summer, your kids don't have school and you have to be much more available for them. Okay, so don't take projects in the summer. Add them back in once the kids are back to school in the fall. I, I love it because you're really, again, giving people permission to evolve, to be nimble, flexible, and diversify based on what's happening in their lives. So they're not missing things. And so they're not overworking and burning out. It's such a, a logical concept. So thank you for that. But I, But one of the things that I love, love about the book, it's you and I talked about this before the show. It's a playbook. It's got specific action steps, tactical advice that you can put into practice now. And one of the tools that I particularly like is the balance scorecard. So tell us more about that. Yeah. I mean, I love that that this resonates so strongly because I, I say I wanted this book to be permission, yes, but also process so that you know how to do this for yourself. The Balance Scorecard grew out of a talk that my professor, Clay Christensen, gave on the last day of class when I was an MBA student here at Harvard uh, about how will you measure your life? And if anyone has read his book, he ended up writing a whole book under that same title. It really is about this idea of like, you know, what you measure is what you manage. And there are some things in life that are much easier to measure. And 
If that's all you're paying attention to, it's very easy to give your incremental hour to those things. And his classic example was like, if you have an extra hour, do you put it into your job where you're going to see a promotion at the end of the next quarter? You're going to see a raise at the end of the next year, or do you put it into your kids? And you don't know if that hour paid off for like 18 years at a minimum, right? Like it's much harder to measure the success there. And so he really encouraged us to be very proactive about measuring and devising measurements for the things that matter in our life so that we could track them and be you know, very intentional about them. And so I created this balanced scorecard uh, at a personal level. It's adapted from a very classic business balanced scorecard where I can set out what are the big strategic priorities for my year, you know, I break it down into personal, professional, health, and financial. And then underneath those priorities, I've got some very specific goals that are, you know, quantifiable, they're actionable, like all the things that we're told to make goals in. And then I keep track, you know, am I on track to hit that goal this year? Yes or no. And I check in about halfway through the year, and then I give myself a grade at the end of the year. And then, this is important, at the very bottom of my balance scorecard, I have a very simple yes-no question, and that's, are you happy? And I treat this as my little checksum. If anyone likes to build financial models, you'll you'll recognize that phrase. But it's a way to like make sure you didn't build an error into the model. And that's my checksum, because if I'm hitting all of my goals, but I'm not happy, then it's time to rebalance my portfolio. So it's a way to like make sure you don't ace the test but fail the class. Like yeah, this is yeah. this is the check in with yourself. And the beauty there is you can always rebalance, right? Exactly. So this is a perpetual opportunity to iterate. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love it. Christina Wallace, you have taught me so much and I'm <laughs> deeply grateful for your amazing book. Let me share the title with this global audience. It's called The Portfolio Life, How to Future-Proof Your Career, Avoid Burnout, and Build a Life Bigger Than Your Business Card. Christina, I am so grateful for you. The book is available on Amazon and all major book retailers. You have such incredible content. Please share with this global audience how they can continue to follow you after the show. Absolutely. You know, LinkedIn is where it's at, man. I don't know how, yep. but LinkedIn became the social media platform that won. So follow me there. I post there quite a bit. You can also sign up for my newsletter through christinawallace.com. I am very sporadic at best. I will not spam your inbox. So those are the two best ways to keep in touch. That is awesome. Christina, I wish you continued success. Thank you for teaching me so much today. And let's keep in touch. I'd love to have you back on the show down the road. Absolutely. Thanks again. Your Working Life is now available on all major podcast platforms. And I want to hear from you. So let me know how we're doing. You can find me at carolinedowdhiggins.com. And a special shout out to my extraordinary podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, our Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. We now have listeners in 16 countries around the world. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening. <laughs>